It's Monday, January the 17th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, catch up, China's slowing economic growth, and Credit Suisse's latest setback. First, the world in brief. China's economic growth slowed during the fourth quarter of 2021 as the country felt the effects of a property sector crisis and fresh COVID-19 outbreaks. The economy expanded by 4% year-on-year in October to December, compared with 4.9% in the previous quarter. Full-year growth was 8.1% in 2021, exceeding the government's target of 6% and rebounding from the 2.2% growth registered in 2020. Antonio Horta Osorio resigned as chairman of Credit Suisse, a troubled bank, after twice breaking COVID-19 quarantine rules in 2021, including by attending the Wimbledon tennis finals. Mr Horta Osorio was recruited last year to help the lender repair its tattered reputation. In 2020, the bank's chief executive, Tijan Tiam, was booted out following a spying scandal. In 2021, it lost $5.5 billion in its dealings with Arkegos, a failed hedge fund. There were reports of a second eruption of the underwater volcano that caused a tsunami and ash to engulf Tonga, a tiny Pacific island nation, on Saturday. Although with communications down, verification is proving tricky. There is similarly no confirmation of casualties, though initial reports suggest they are low. Australia and New Zealand pledged to send aid. Both countries also launched surveillance flights. The Australian Open, the first major event of the tennis season, began without Novak Djokovic, the world's top-ranked male player. Mr Djokovic, who has not been vaccinated against COVID-19, flew out of Australia on Sunday having failed to stop the government from revoking his visa. It was cancelled on the grounds of, quote, health and good order. Two teenagers were arrested in Britain in relation to a siege at a synagogue in Dallas, Texas. Police stormed the building on Sunday, killing the British assailant. Four hostages were freed. President Joe Biden called the incident, quote, an act of terror. The hostage-taker was heard demanding the release of Afia Siddiqui, a Pakistani who was jailed for attempting to kill American soldiers. Britain's Culture Secretary, Nadine Dorius, announced the future demise of the BBC's licence fee and said the national broadcaster must find new ways to fund its content. The levy, payable by most Brits who watch television, will remain in place until at least 2027. The government has accused the BBC of bias. Opposition parties say they simply dislike its criticism. Ukraine's government said it has evidence that Russia was responsible for a cyber attack against government websites on Friday. Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, has amassed 100,000 troops on the border with Ukraine. Talks between Russia, America and NATO to resolve the situation failed last week. And fact of the day. 11. The number of China's 25 Politburo members who will have to step down this year because of age. 
Chinese politics face a shake-up. And now here's today's agenda. India and Britain talk free trade. Despite their historical connection, trade between India and Britain is lacklustre. In 2020, it amounted to £19.8 billion, $26.6 billion, less than 2% of each country's total trade volume. Both want to change that. On Monday, they began the first round of negotiations on an ambitious free trade deal that seeks to double trade by 2030. Britain, which has been hunting for deals further afield since leaving the EU, hopes India will ignore its protectionist instincts and slash tariffs, starting with cars and whisky. In turn, India hopes to gain market access for several products, including leather and textiles, and contentiously a more lenient system for workers wishing to emigrate to Britain. Both countries are in a hurry. They have agreed to avoid, quote, sensitive issues in the initial negotiations, so they can reach an interim agreement by April. But that would not necessarily guarantee a comprehensive deal in the future. India and Thailand have had an interim agreement since 2004. Japan's political priorities Japan's parliament, the Diet, reconvenes on Monday. The Omicron variant is fueling a fresh surge of COVID-19 cases in the country. It will top the agenda of Kishida Fumio, who became Prime Minister in October 2021. Though Japan's double vaccination rate is high, at nearly 80%, booster shots have not yet been widely distributed. Pressure is growing to accelerate the rollout. Voters will also be looking for meat on the bones of Mr Kishida's quote new capitalism agenda, a thus far vague set of promises about boosting growth and curbing inequality. His Liberal Democratic Party is likely to submit a bill to create a quote children and families agency that would centralise child-related policies and another on economic security intended to strengthen supply chains, reducing reliance on China for sensitive technology. The party will probably avoid more internally contentious issues such as reforming healthcare or immigration. That may be because Mr Kishida hopes to sail smoothly into upper house elections due to be held this summer. Germany's finance minister makes his debut. At a meeting in Brussels on Monday, Eurozone finance ministers will discuss reforms to their group's fiscal rules and the completion of the banking union, the closer alignment of members' financial regulation initiated in the wake of the financial crisis. Christian Lindner, the new German finance minister and leader of the FDP, a pro-business Liberal Party, will make his debut. Mr Lindner has hinted that he will focus on implementing the zone's €750 billion, $856 billion, pandemic recovery fund. But he also seems willing to talk about creating a European deposit reinsurance scheme, one of the proposed pillars of the banking union. Reforms to the Stability and Growth Pact, the union's fiscal rulebook, may also come up. It aims to limit member states' budget deficits and debt stocks to 3% and 60% of GDP, respectively, 
but has more proved divisive, pitting frugal northerners against spendthrift southerners. One of the more popular ideas is to exclude green investments from the deficit calculation, thus incentivising them and helping governments meet their climate goals. Ripples from a trial in Turkey The trial of Osman Kavala, one of Turkey's most famous political prisoners, resumes on Monday. Mr Kavala, a businessman and philanthropist, has spent more than four years in prison on farcical terror charges, despite a ruling from the European Court of Human Rights ordering his release. Late last year, after Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, called him an agent of the financier George Soros, whom Mr Erdogan vilifies, Mr Kavala said he no longer believed he could have a fair trial. His last hope may be in the Council of Europe. The body recently announced it would launch infringement proceedings against Turkey for defying the ECHR's verdict. It has taken such a step only once in its history, against Azerbaijan. The Council could find Turkey or suspend its voting rights if it refuses to release Mr Kavala. It might even expel it from the group. Perhaps that would give Mr Erdogan pause for thought. Zora Neale Hurston's non-fiction Most African Americans hailed the 1954 case, Brown v. Board of Education, as a milestone for black rights. The Supreme Court deemed the, quote, separate but equal doctrine underlying America's racial segregation policies untenable. Zora Neale Hurston was not like most African Americans. She interpreted the decision as a relegation of black achievements and institutions. Her essay on the case is included in You Don't Know Us Negroes, a collection of her non-fiction spanning more than 35 years, due to be released on Tuesday. The anthology shows that Hurston's many controversial opinions were often more nuanced than they seemed. Unlike most of her peers, she rejected state-sanctioned racial integration, writing, quote, How much satisfaction can I get from a court order for somebody to associate with me who does not wish me near them? Much like her works of fiction, Hurston's non-fiction insisted on a complete shift in society's mindset ensuring that African-Americans truly be treated as ordinary people. Winter Quiz, Week 6. The battle with our baristas grinds on. As in previous weeks, we'll serve you a new question each day. On Thursday, your challenge will be to give all four answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 GMT on Thursday to editor-espresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Friday. Monday. Which city is the capital of the Spanish province of Andalusia? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Benjamin Franklin, who was born on this day in 1706. 
Love your enemies, for they tell you your faults. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.